97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com slash workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. What is going on, everyone? Happy to have you here for Pardon the Disruption on this wonderful Thursday. Sorry that we were a little late. I clearly bring, uh, blame Steve for that. That being said, we're going to go ahead and get to it. I'm going to go ahead and be your host. My name is Matthew Potter. I am the short sale king as well as co-founder of The Family Tree at Real Broker. If you are interested, go ahead and hit me up on that. Mm -hmm. That being said, going to go ahead and get into the rules uh, right away for you. So for anyone that's just joining us for the first time, we're happy to have you. The way that this works is there's five pre-selected questions, and then there is a sixth that will come from our audience, either through our YouTube feed, or you can go ahead and text QUESTION to 33777. Um, each, each person on the panel will have 45 seconds to, ans to answer the question. After that, we open it up for a two-minute a two debate, and then there will be one point awarded to the best. We're going to go ahead and start out. Steve, go ahead and introduce yourself. Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors. I've been at this game for a little over 15 years now. Uh, I love everything about real estate, except for you know maybe the houses and some of the people we got, we got to work with. Uh, I'm super excited for the show. Uh, we got great friends here. Uh, I think that's one of the really cool things that... You know, pursuing entrepreneurship is to get to do fun things with people you like. I'm really ex excited and looking forward to today's show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve, as always, for putting this together. We really appreciate it. Next up, we're going to have Jimmy G.I. Joe Vreeland. What's going on? Introduce yourself. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, Jimmy Vreeland, uh, Cashflow Tactics. I'm a turnkey provider and educator out of St. Louis, Missouri. Awesome. Thanks so much, brother. We're happy to have you here today with uh, the rest of the B squad. Speaking of bees, Eric Brewer, what you got for us? <laughs> and by the way, I'm part of the A squad, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, real estate investor. Um, I do some fix and flip wholesale and a boatload of novations. Um, been teaching novations now um, for a little over two years. Um, 35 people now. Um, and, um, just excited to be here. This is a lot of fun. Um, cool to hang out with a couple people and argue for an hour. Absolutely. It's literally the highlight of my week. Last, but certainly not least, we have Leon G Barnes. Go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. What up everyone? Leon G Barnes. Uh, the, today that G stands for good. Uh, Steve likes to use great loosely. We're good friends, Steve, not great friends. I'm the director <laughs> of membership uh, for 
the collective genius uh, mastermind, the elite, uh, highest level real estate investor mind in the country. Uh, I also happen to be a real estate investor as well. So always excited to get on here with my great friend. That was my little joke to start us off. Um, good information, good questions, ready to go today. Awesome, awesome. And real quick, just so that everybody knows, Steve's finally given me an upgrade. We will be starting as soon as you are on the clock, you will hear... And then when your time is up, you will hear. All right, Steve, we're going to go ahead and start off with the first question. This one hits home here in Arizona. If your organization is underperforming, who do you fire and get rid of? This is clearly attached to the Arizona Cardinals. Steve? Yeah, I feel like I need a little bit more than 45 seconds just to process all of this. But I would say, you know, the first person I would probably fire is Eric Brewer. But then after that, uh, it's really you got to have a real – internal look within the organization right because first you got to look at who what went wrong and it always starts with you as a leader but obviously you can't fire yourself so then after that you got to figure out where things went wrong and you need to really dig deep you can't just fire one person and scapegoat one person you got to figure out where things get went wrong and probably fire is not the first thing but probably a second thing if you can't fix what it is what they're doing wrong right so you got to find the person that's got the most culpable that was not able to lead the organization the right way with hopefully the carefully crafted uh, instructions that you gave them. So that's where I would go. The person that could not execute the vision that was, that was uh, conveyed. Just under the buzzer, 44 seconds. All right, Jimmy, who, who are you canning? Uh, I kind of agree with Steve on this one. Like you're responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen uh, on your team. So if, if you're not performing, like the first, I would not look first to fire people. I like, what metrics are we not hitting? What processes have we not implemented correctly? Um, you know, I've, I've kind of gone for this where you're like, Oh, something's going wrong. I got to fire somebody. And I think that sets you back farther than looking yourself in the mirror and saying, what standard Am I not upholding? What process do we not create that's effective? Um, you know, firing is probably the third or fourth thing you look at. Very, very good, valid points. All right, Eric, who who are you canning and who are you looking at? The camera guy is first of all. Eric, you can also fire your audio guy because you're coming in real. Or Eric, yeah. Apple bottom, take another bite. Brewer needs to turn on the light. Yeah. <clears throat> I just want to have a good night. All right, you up, Eric? Now. <laughs> be a pro let's go tell me when all right sorry about that steve uh had to fire had to fire a bunch Shut of people up. we're gonna kick it over to eric now <laughs> so steve in this situation what are you going to do you're gonna fire somebody first eric i already I said i'm gonna fire eric. Over people is what we do jimmy we talk <laughs> over other people in this situation so i think what you got to do here is firing is unfortunately sometimes the decision that needs to be made um, to Jimmy's point, too often people rush to that decision. And if they haven't actually solved the problem that led to the lack of performance, they can put another qualified person in that position and still fail. 
number one has to be, have I clearly communicated my expectations? 75% of the time when people don't perform, it's because they don't even know what's expected of them. Number two, before you fire someone, is you have to make sure you've given them all the training and the resources they need to be able to do their job. If you can confirm those two things, then you should consider making a fire. And often, I think I disagree a little bit with what you know Stephen said, you can fire yourself. Oftentimes, as an owner, we find ourselves doing or sitting in multiple positions, and we're just not equipped. We're not the best person for the job. And in some cases, an owner is in a performing seat and needs to be fired from the performing seat, not necessarily from the ownership seat. Beautiful insights, Eric. We definitely appreciate it. All right, Leon, what you got for us? Who, who are you going to go ahead and give the boot to? I think if you assume what Eric said, that everything is functioning at a high level within your organization, you look at where you are in your business today. Some of you that are listening to this uh, may have no employees. Some of you may have five employees. Some of you may have big businesses where you're 50 plus. I think in, at any level, you have to weekly from an executive team, and you may only have you on the executive team today, and you may be sitting in several seats. You have to always force rank those individuals that are sitting in those seats, including yourself, every single week. What do you think NFL roster? This, this whole uh, present, this whole question came from a premise of the Arizona Cardinals uh, firing their coach and GM stepping down. Every single week, coaches evaluate talent. We should be doing the same thing and force ranking our talent every single week. So there's never a surprise of who isn't getting their job done. And these should be easy decisions to make. So just real quick, going back to Eric's point, I think if you're in a position where the owner is sitting in a seat where they're doing things and they're actually involved in dated operations, absolutely they should be fired from that seat. Really where I was talking about was if they were in the owner's box, can't really find or fire the owner from the owner's box. But I would love if I could fire Michael Bidwell. Like, if we could just fire the entire Bidwell family, that would be, like, an incredible blessing because they've been a curse to the Cardinals and the Phoenix City since they moved here, like, back in 84, 85, whenever. Steve, you sound well, like you I, I think... Lewis. That's what we said. <laughs> we left St. Louis in 84. <laughs> well, Crimea River Washington Commanders fans are talking about right now. So, yeah, it's <laughs> everyone uh, wishes they could fire uh, owners. Jerry Jones, same way in Dallas. But I think uh, if we're if we're being honest with ourselves of who is you know listening that are real estate investors across the United States, uh, most of them are still sitting in some seat uh, with the exception, you know, like Eric has done a great job within his organization of elevating himself to a CEO role. But when things change, he got right back in the seats that uh, made the most sense for him to jump into because he would force rank his staff to see, you know, these are the cuts that need to be made. And I can make these cuts because I understand who is the highest and best on my team on a weekly basis. So I might vote for Eric on this one only because we were talking about, you know, with what we're doing as far as sales leadership. What often happens is as an owner, we tend to be the sales manager. And I think that that is probably one of the areas where we tend to be really weak in because that's there's not like a lot of formal training on, on sales management training. So, you know, we talk about sales leadership here and there. I think Eric's got a point there, right? We got to fire ourselves from that seat. So if, if that is a seat that we're sitting in, we're not executing. 
I would I would argue that. And the reason I would argue that is because I think the weakest seat for most real estate investors from my experience and talking to them on a daily basis is more on the systems and process and organization of scaling a business through building team culture. Sales is what most of them do very, very well out of the game. I'm talking about as far as I'm saying as far as being a sales manager, but I think the other thing too is you don't have to convince an owner to get out of the systems part because they're all trying to get out of there as fast as possible, right? I yes. think like, okay, I am not the process procedures guys. Peace out. I hope you guys figure this part out. Yeah, I, that's what that, that, that's what I was when you said out of the sales. That's where most people thrive out of the gate. But you're right. Management of salespeople, that's a different story. Yeah. All very, very, very good points, gentlemen. Very impressed. I am going to go ahead and let you know, though. Brew Crew took round one. Um, we're going to go ahead and award the point to uh, my bald brother over there. Just because he took the camera um, off. It, hey, my man look, didn't he... have a camera on for half of his answer, and you gave him a win. Hey, hey. Simmer, simmer down, Leon. Today, apparently. Simmer, simmer down, down, Leon. <laughs> or you're going to end up in CJ's spot. <laughs> <laughs> I, All right. know, I have to manage my tech correctly component <laughs> clearly there is jimmy uh you apparently did not get that memo in the group chat all right guys huh. question number two um let's go ahead and just di dive into this one do y'all believe in midlife crisis go ahead and start us off eric yeah i've seen it multiple times um I think I might be uh, approaching that. I'm 47 years old, so it won't be long before I'll be able to give you firsthand feedback <clears> about <throat> whether or not uh, I, I experience it. But I mean, we've seen it lots of times, right? Where um, somebody probably has a an old uncle or a grandpa or something <clears> that goes through a midlife crisis and goes out and buys um, cool koozies like Steve has and maybe a convertible Corvette to deal with their <laughs> midlife crisis. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a real thing. I haven't experienced it yet, but I feel like I've seen other people experience them and act out of pocket, do things that are, uh, not really customary for the way they behave. So I think it's a real thing and we've all gotten older, right? Whether it was like, can't believe I'm 30 years old. I can't believe I'm 40 midlife probably sinks in just when you say it out loud, like I'm half dead. Right. It has a certain it has a, it has a certain amount of, of finality to it versus when you're 30 or 40 or 50. Um, but uh, I will say with my high level of income and advancement in modern medicine, there's no reason why I can't live to be two, three hundred years old. <laughs> Absolutely. With, with your advent in modern medicine. I love it. <laughs> I, I love that you're banking on the moder modern medicine there. Uh, that's great. All right, Leon, yeah. you're on the clock. Yeah. You believe in midlife crisis? Clearly, it exists for some. I mean, Steve driving a Miata around, so I completely understand that little convertible Miata around Tempe. Um, I, I get it. I understand that some people have it. Um, personally, um, I, I read a study a, a long time ago um, about uh, it was an interview with a hundred, uh, one hundred year olds, and uh, their key to life was always seeing life as upward trajectory, as if you were going up um, on a roller coaster and never coming down. And so from, from that standpoint, I've always tried to live by that. And I also think that, um, you know, for me personally, I think midlife crisis usually deals with material things. And I've just never been a material person, more of experience in life in general. So although I do know that it does exist and 
knock on wood, I turn 46 next month. Um, I don't have one of those because I'm already past midlife. If you look at life expectancy of 82. Just under the buzzer. Good. Good job there, Leon. Appreciate the uh, insight. All right, Jimmy V. The, the crowd is dying to know you believe in midlife crisis. No, I don't believe in midlife crisis at all. I think there are certain people that whine and complain and are ungrateful regardless of what age they are. So uh, if you're one of those people, like you don't need, maybe you just find, hey, I turned 50 as your latest excuse to piss and moan. <laughs> <laughs> but to those people, I would offer the advice of uh, shut up, stop complaining, be grateful for what you got and carry on. Beautiful. Lo- absolutely love that answer. All right, Steve, what about you with uh, with your Miata uh, midlife crisis? Yes or no? Well, as the person that's significantly younger than everyone else on this panel, um, I would <laughs> say that there was a time where midlife crisis, I think, was a real thing, right? Like you got your job, you went to college, you got your job, you have a family, and then you kind of like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? I think that the time where that's happened now is much earlier. I think it's happening closer to when people are leaving college because there, a lot of people are leaving college without a purpose, right? Like they're doing what they're supposed to do. And that used to be, you got a job, you have kids and do whatever. And then you're, once you've done everything you're supposed to do and you're now like, now what? I think now with people graduating college, that was the roadmap. That's as far as the roadmap goes now. There's no more like getting married, having kids and whatever. So they're graduating college and now they're asking the now what question. So what was before midlife crisis, I think, is now turning into a quarter-life crisis. I think a lot of people watching the show now have gotten past that point. But I think that midlife crisis turned into a quarter-life crisis for a lot of people having a, a crisis in, in identity and purpose. You ever read oh. Coddling of the American Mind, Steve? No, what was it? It's called Coddling the American Mind. And... Uh, by creating so many safe spaces, the theory is by creating so many safe spaces for children, like they're completely not resilient, completely can't handle adversity. And like, it generally leads to their overall unhappiness. Fragility, just completely fragile. Yeah. He's got a chapter about being, how you got to make your children anti-fragile by throwing adversity in front of them. There's another book on that. It's called The Wussification of America. I think that's written by Adam Carolla. Um, but, you know, <laughs> when it comes to uh, midlife crisis stuff, guys, like, you know, we're, if we're talking, if we're being honest with ourselves, I mean, most of the people that we associate ourselves with and uh, in, our, in, in our communities, as real estate investors, as entrepreneurs, we're all A-type personalities that are people that are always looking to continue to grow hit achieve one goal and move on to the next one but if this is something if someone needs to go out and buy a corvette um you know to to bring them happiness more power to you do you uh, i understand it it's just not something that that i've ever considered your camera's out again eric oh my goodness i'm sure i'm sure he'll still win this one in the dark right, just give him just give him just give oh, him back. Points, pity points He's got like seven cameras in in his office. <laughs> I have rings set up in here. You got to set proper expectations for your camera guy. Make sure he understands exactly what he's supposed to accomplish. I am the camera guy. Oh, I would definitely fire mm-hmm. that guy. Dude, you had YouTube shut down for 15 minutes. Who are you? Like, my camera went. 
it, it didn't even shut off. It went now we're getting personal. Hey, let, let's went, not make this about me. Anyway, it went one shade darker than Jimmy's. If he <laughs> cranked the lights down one more time, it looked like his camera was off. He just got up. Jimmy, Jimmy's burning candles. He had to set the mood for. for He's in a bunker. Yeah, you had to get ready. I have tried like eight million times to get the contrast to get a little lighter. I hope Susie's listening to this because she's controlled the camera. All right, guys, that was a great round. Um, Jimmy, I mean, it was okay, Matt. It was okay. That, that wasn't exactly a barn burner. Well, I mean, I was going to award you the point, Jimmy. Like, are you oh, sure? Are you sure I don't you... want the points. I don't want the points for the whiners question. So, <laughs> but your 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 answer, I think, resonates with many. Um, and you're I'm going to go ahead and give you the point on that round. Uh, I appreciate the absolute brutal honesty. But I mean, it, it wasn't that hard to win. Like my camera worked the entire time I was answering. My audio worked the entire time I was answering. <laughs> the the, the bar has been set extremely low. <laughs> right. Uh, all right, we're going to go ahead and dive into our third question here. Um, this is an absolute crowd favorite. <clears throat> Can't wait to uh, hear the results on this. If you had the opportunity to hire a cheap motivational speaker, such as like Tony Robbins, um, would you? All right, start us off, Jimmy. Oh, my God, no. It would lead to complete adrenal fatigue. Um uh, <laughs> Can you imagine somebody coming to your office? Are you talking about do you be there every day or like every week? Fire your team up every morning. Oh my God. Like make them jump up and down and clap and all that stuff. That would, yeah, that would create adrenal fatigue. It would be absolutely miserable. And uh, like I was thinking about this, I'm listening to good to great. And if you have the right people on the right bus, what does Jim Collins always say? You don't mean, mean to motivate them, but like you got to use motivation strategically. Like the point of motivation is behavior change. And so you're going to have to have some type of interval between motivator, go out and implement, execute, change your behavior, then come back to be motivated again, say like every 30 days, every 90 days. But if there was like um, somebody in your office every day doing that, it would keep, I think it would keep some of the wrong people on the bus around and it would not, they'd spend all their time getting motivated, not changing their behavior or getting better. So that's a no vote for Richard Simmons up in your uh, in your <laughs> office. Got it. All right, Steve. What are your thoughts? Are you are you hiring a, a motivator or no? Uh, no. The answer would be no. And the reason why it goes back to exactly what Jimmy said. I hate that I'm agreeing with him so much. But it, you know, Jim Collins says, right? If you got to motivate your people, you've got the wrong people. You know, um, if you, the idea that the people we hire they come with batteries included, right? They don't need to be motivated. They come in every morning inspired and fulfilled to do what they were hired to do. And if you got to go there and motivate them every single day, for me, that's exhausting. And I just question whether you got the right people. I think you hire motivated people. You don't hire people and then motivate them. I think if you're hiring people and then motivating them, you might be getting this backwards. Very good points. So we got, uh, we got two gentlemen that are agreeing. All right, Eric, where are you at with it? I think they're both full of shit. You guys, get you guys get motivated every morning. You listen to probably the same people you're saying you don't want in your office, right? You do something to get motivated every day. You're taking Jim Collins's book completely out of context. He's not saying if they need to be motivated. He's saying that motivation shouldn't be the only thing that gets them up. You don't put incentives in place to motivate unmotivated people. How would you not want? And by the way, the, the original question was not a cheap motivational speaker it was a motivational speaker 
cheat. On the Those cheat. are two completely different things, right? So when you ask the question, if it's a motivational speaker cheap, yeah, you're going to tell me that Tony Robbins is offering to come to your office every day for an amount of money that has no impact on you. And you're going to tell him, no, I want warriors that don't need to hear from Tony Robbins. But he, Steve probably does a cold plunge every morning. He, 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 he hooks up. We got a guy in CG that says he hooks jumper cables to their nipples to get them charged up. That's probably <laughs> right. They all are getting motivation, but somehow your people don't deserve it. I think you're full of crap. <laughs> no, I would, I would. I know I should let you go, Leon, but I'm going to retort. Wait, to come on, Ricky. <laughs> what? Follow the rules. Gonna go, whatever. Whoa. But Eric, I would hire a coach. <laughs> I would hire a coach that gave my team a great morning routine where they they meditated they worked out and they learned something new so like, i don't think you need a tony robbins every day i i think tony robbins would say the first hour of your day you own and here's how you own it yeah all right i, I, so think, I, think, back, I think leon gets to talk here yeah back, back to leon leon go ahead well if you if you want i'll just go for leon too <laughs> jimmy clearly didn't understand the rules that the two minutes is after everybody else has gone Addies, Addies. leon hit, hit, hit us with whether or not you're hiring the uh motivational speaker for cheap Matt, Matt, do we have a pardon the disruption mute button? Because if we do, we need to start we're, using that. This rookie doesn't know what he's doing on the show. We're working so, on that, brother. Don't worry. We're working on it. Quite frankly, I, I'm, I'm, I was shocked by Jimmy and, and Steve's answer. Um, I, I don't know what world they're living in that we all hire these uh, A-type personalities that are super motivated as soon as they come through the door. Um, everybody that I talk to, that one of the biggest challenges is hiring. Uh, and if you have the opportunity to get motivational speakers on the cheap, I'm not saying that you have to bring them in every single day, but if you have the opportunity to get someone of that, uh, at that ilk and that talent, um, that opportunity, why would you not take a full advantage of it? Uh, obviously you have to put some, you know, some, some, some framework around it. Maybe it's not every single day for an hour, those types of things, but I don't know why you wouldn't take that opportunity on the cheap to bring someone in to help your team set the right mind frame to, to go conquer the day. We all do it. We all look to things of motivation. Why wouldn't we offer that to our teams? Steve puts Here's the top it. down on his Miata and does 72 <laughs> to work to get a, a cold breeze in the face to fire himself up. I don't see how this is any different. I think if you have a morning guys... routine, if you have a morning routine, right? If you got, if you have purpose, I think, I guess what I would say is, if you need motivation every single morning, I think there's some bigger issues, some deeper issues. If you need motivation every single morning, and that's what we're talking so about, even you, if it's quality, so even if it's a if quality, I can't solve if I can't solve their deeper issues, but I can get someone to work through them, I'll do that. The reality is, I don't think you're going to be able to. Can you try and connect with someone's purpose? Yeah, I don't think most. Of, I'm 48 years old. I think I have an idea of what my purpose is. I don't have it figured out. So I still need motivation. Maybe it's cheap. Maybe it's surface level deep. What do you but, do to or, motivate yourself every morning? I, I meditate. Uh, I journal. Um, I'm trying to tap into something deeper. But in 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 the absence of of knowing what that is, I'll take motivation if it gets me through the day and it gives me a better version of myself than I would do without it. I, this is kind of like the thing, and maybe it annoys me because we just came off of New Year's Eve. And everybody's so critical of people that start these New Year's resolutions. And like, frankly, that's become the new thing to make fun of is the people that make fun of resolutions. 
And I think this is kind of the same thing. It's very, yeah, you shouldn't need motivation and discipline trumps motivation. We all know that. I would go to, to, you know, who, not how, right? So if I try and figure out how to become disciplined and how to be motivated and I can't do it on my own, what's the problem with having Tony Robbins come in and do it? I, I, well, I don't think- for me, I think this is more about giving a man, like, if you're going to give a man a fish or teach him how to fish, right? Like, I think this is where, for, this is the perspective I'm coming from. I think where Jimmy's coming from, right? We should be providing resources for, the, for them to figure that out versus a raw, raw, clap your hands, <clears throat> jump up and down, massage each other. Every single morning. Well, I don't well, know how you guys do it in Phoenix, but we're not <laughs> we're not massaging each other we're talking uh, to, Tony to get Robbins motivated. <laughs> That's you you mis you mispronounced uh you know um well, we'll leave that word uh, to you know, yeah figure it out. But we're not uh, saying walk on motivation. fire. We're not saying walk on fire every single morning, but I will tell you that some of the best operators within the collective genius every single morning as the CEO that have graduated to those seats, what do they do first thing in the morning? They get on the phone, 6.30, 7.30, whatever time that they schedule it with their sales team to give to pump them up. Uh, now, I'm not saying that, that you, know, you have to bring in Tony Robbins every single morning to do that, but every single employee needs a little bit of motivation. Uh, if, you can, you can, if you can provide it every single day, why wouldn't you do that? Well, my concern is just that every day. Uh, like real life example, we hired SEAL team leaders, best training ever. But we, we talked to them and we're like, we were doing it weekly. And we were like, hey, we need to start doing it bi-weekly because we're drinking from the fire hose and we're not having any time to implement and change our behavior. So if you had this guy in the office every day, there'd be no opportunity for the team member to start adapting to their own morning routine and to like take the motivation and try the ideas for a while. So like, uh, if the question was phrased as every 30 days, I'd probably definitely take that every quarter. Like, dude, imagine if I if we went to CG every week, nothing, it would be great content, but we would get we would get nothing done. We would just run through walls. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I get I mean, what you're saying. And... Like when Go I ahead, when I read a good book, what's that? Just go ahead. Don't Liam is going to say something. Why'd that slow you down? <laughs> you know, I come from an environment where like, it, you know, you have to be a little bit of aggressive male to like, you know, have your point said, like, you don't have to be shy, Leon. You just gotta, yeah. you just gotta pop off there. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and end that one. Um, I take everybody's points very, very seriously on this. Um, you know, as much as he's talked shit so far through the gate, through this uh, episode, this one's definitely going to go over to uh, Leon. I agree. You do have to kind of have that morning and you also have to have that motivation that's there. There's no reason not to provide that for your organization. Real quick, before we go on to our next question, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to go ahead and toss it over to Jimmy V and he's going to go ahead and bring us uh, bring, bring us a word from our sponsors. Okay, so with capital thinning, thinning in today's market, it's crucial for real estate investors to build relationships with reliable lenders with access to their capital needs. And that's where our friends at Kiavi come in. Whether you're flipping houses or investing in rental properties, Kiavi offers fast approvals, high leverage, and reliable capital to those who deal in any market environment. Through their easy online process and dedicated support, you can access the flexible loan options that help you scale and build confidently. So go to Kiavi real estate disruptors.com let them know steve sent you and if they're underwriters deny your loan you got to be like look 
I'm a student and fan of Steve Trang. He taught me everything I know. There's no way he could be wrong. Are you denying this loan and telling me Steve Trang's wrong? And then you'll get your money. Uh, great, great point. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> that, that so was go to great... krv.com, real estate disruptors, to get started today. That morning Great. huddle, Steve calls real estate disrubbers when they massage each other. <laughs> by the way. Real estate disrubbers. A uh, little morning huddle rah-rah session top down on the Miyagi. Oh. Oh. All right. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, okay. <laughs> on to our next question. Um, with the current marketscape with um, interest rates, are you guys finding it to be more of a challenge to find buyers that are willing to get into those interest rates or also sellers that are willing to give up their lower interest rates. Since you won the last round, Leon, go ahead and start <clears throat> us off. So first of all, Matt, I don't know how I keep talking crap when Jimmy keeps talking over me, but I do appreciate the point. Um, so this particular answer uh, has changed. Uh, what I mean by that is we saw a shift happen really about February of 2022. March really started to see a shift. And then for sure, April of 22 uh, of last year is when we saw this shift. And buyers um, were for sure out of the gates um, harder to find. That transition has happened Q4 of last year, especially within our community, 300 investors strong. I've been hearing that leads, especially uh, Q4. Coming into Q1, we've seen it pick up a little bit, but leads for sellers has been harder, even though it has picked up here at the beginning of the year. So it's transitioned from what I've, uh, what I've heard. Beautiful. All right, Jimmy. What do you see? Uh, what I'm seeing, like I think the next two years, I think it might be harder to find deals because – if you're sitting at a loan, you know, if you're sitting in a $300,000 house and you have a 3% interest rate and then you want to go to a $400,000 house at a 6 or 7% interest rate, like you're just not going to move. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of people selling other than distressed sellers or people who got in those low interest rate loans and now are underwater. So I think that'll open up creative deals, but I don't think end buyers are going to be that hard to find because they're still in inventory shortage. And then uh, the sophisticated investors are still around. They recognize a deal. So, you know, Eric talks about this a lot, but the rub is finding, going to be finding the deal. Beautiful. Steve, what are your thoughts on this uh, topic? Uh, so when I first read this question, I was thinking in the context of uh, sending, selling it to a buyer, like through a wholesale means. And I think for us, that's still going to be one of the greater challenges, right? Uh, the buyers are willing to pay in this market. We, predominantly because of the, the uncertainty involved with the interest rates. So even though the interest rates are higher, the uncertainty ar around the interest rates is, is what's really causing the biggest problems. As far as sellers, I mean, yeah, they're going to have to pay a higher interest rate for a house they move up to. But the reality is we do business predominantly from motivated sellers that are going through a situation, right? A life event has occurred and nothing's going to change that. There are always going to be people that have a situation that they need to get out of it. And for that reason, I think for us with our industry, I think we're going to be fine because we're going to continue find, continually finding those people. Are we going to have fewer transactions? For sure, right? But at the end of the day, we know always there's 2 to 4% of the population is always going through something. 
and there will always be a need for them to take an a a action one way or another. Very insightful there. All right, Brewer, what do you got for us? So I think what happens um, and what I've seen is for every action, there's a equal and almost opposite reaction. So what we saw when interest rates went up is there was a lot of buyers that stepped out of the market. And that happened instantly, right? When a rate went, went from 4% to 6%, particularly guys like Jimmy and I that were selling a lot of turnkeys, we saw a lot of those people and the way that they analyzed the deal, the interest rate had a big impact and they either slowed <clears throat> down or stopped buying. It took a little bit longer for those circumstances to catch up to sellers, right? Because the same things that impact a buyer and influence interest rates, things like unemployment and increasing as inflation increases, right? It's a lot of things we don't talk about, like the increasing interest rates increase unemployment. As unemployment increases, it creates new opportunities for us to buy homes. But oftentimes there may be a six-month lag. Um, so we have to be able to sustain the slowed down buyer's market. And then combined with what Steve said is that, I'm not buying homes from someone that's moving from a three to $400,000 house. That's never been my seller. My seller is typically dealing with some type of financial problem. And oftentimes when we see in high inflation environments like we're in now or a recession, there's more seller issues than there are in the market we saw the last three years. Um, so that's what I've seen. There's a pivot, but the one opportunity that went away created a new opportunity on the seller side. I really appreciate how Eric went ahead and just quoted Isaac Newton to make himself sound smarter. And I also <laughs> want to point out, I think it's a, a little feminine the way that Leon says 22, 2022, 22, 22, 22, 22, 22, 22, <laughs> 22. Speaking of princes, 22. How you get an English accent from Wichita, Kansas? Hey, Matt, they speak you broken English down is. there, not like formal English. Before you, before you pick, Matt, I just want to apologize for last week's outburst. Clearly, it's affecting your decision making process. <laughs> there, there goes Steve chiming uh, in. So, Eric, do you think, and do you think that's just the constant cycle of this game? Like something happens. Something happens that closes one door, which instantly opens another door. Maybe not instantly, but takes 30 to 90 days. So it's, it's, it's hard to see right when there's little pivots and changes because it's not as exaggerated and we don't always feel it. Everybody compares this to 2008, although I think it's, it's different for a lot of reasons. But in 2006 and seven, when I started, it was really hard to buy a house. It was super easy to sell it. In 2009, it went 180 degrees. It got really easy to buy and it got really hard to sell because – no one could qualify for a mortgage. Lending had dried up. 75% uh, of the lending institutions that were doing deals on loans that I was selling in 2006 and seven were no longer in business in 2009. So yeah, I think when you have that big of a shift, you see the immediate response on one end. And sometimes there's a trailing effect that catches up on the other. And you just have to identify where that opportunity is going to be created and put yourself in the right position like Leon did in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we've, had this we've had this conversation before, not specifically on how I pronounce things, but you can tell when someone is, 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 is running away from the, the topic. Um, 
we're starting to see what the Fed has been doing, that knee-jerk reaction. They're getting what they wanted, which is unemployment starting to go up. So the opportunities, the answer, the, the challenge, the question was about the challenge of what's harder to find. I think you're going to start to see that sellers, again, going back to Q4, was leads were down. I think you're going to start to see that tick up because everything that the Fed uh, did in the past, it's, it's, it's doing what they wanted it to do. We're starting to see unemployment go up before more opportunities come on the investment side. Yeah, actually, uh, Matthew and I were talking about this prior to the show, you know, as far as how things are, are looking, the the feeling is that maybe in 2023, you know, we'll have a slight decline in, in market values, right? But in 2024, that's when we're going to see the real impact of the five consecutive rate hikes. And who knows exactly what's, what, what that's going to do. Why, so, why do you say so long, Steve? Because we still haven't seen all the impacts of the, of the unemployment, right? Like the, their, the jobs numbers are going the wrong way. Like Jer Jerome Powell is saying, I am trying to destroy the economy in his you know, mm -hmm. politically correct words. And it's not working, right? Like the restaurants are still full. The parking lots are all full. The airlines are still fully booked. No one has modified their spending behavior. And until they do, employment is going to stay where it's at. And to, to that point, Jimmy, you know, the foreclosure process in some states like New York, you know, may take up to two years for those to come to market. So it, it, we will see a delay in those outside of those that are making the decision for themselves versus being forced out. Gotcha. OK, I get it. So. <clears throat> I like how Steve tried to pull in a prior conversation there to try to go ahead and get himself some points. I will say this prior to Steve's additional outburst today, um, that round was going to him. Um, I like the insight. And in addition to it, I agree at the end of the day, those deals are always going to be there because that's what the niche is. All right, real quick. We're going to go ahead and get on to question number five. Who won? Steve did. Oh, you said he With was going to win. Yeah, no, I still gave it to him. Me and my oh, Miata. <laughs> so that being said, kind of piggybacking off of the last uh, the last question, right now with kind of the uncertainty, how important is it for creative deals right now? Steve, go ahead and lead us off. I think we're probably going to get a lot of consensus here. Um, I think creative deals are, are really critical. I mean, if you look at our revenue in the second half of last year, and I'm going to include innovations here in the creative component. Um, if you're looking at proper exit strategies to maximize revenue, you've got to get creative. And I think that you've got to learn creative for two reasons. One, right, so that you can do more transactions and maximize the revenue return on your investment. But also, you're not going to know what's a deal and what's not a deal, right? Like you can look at it, th you can look at opportunities like, oh, that's, that's not a lead. And someone else can come in there and completely maximize on all, on all of it. And actually, I'll just add one more point. Some of the wealthiest people I know, right, that have been doing this for a long, long time are all masters of creative, right? So if you don't take the time to learn creative, you might have to go back and get a regular job right now. That's for next week when RJ joins us with uh, 9 to 5. <laughs> Eric, what about you? How important is creative right now? I mean, I think it's always important. It becomes more prevalent in a market like we're in right now because a lot of the low-hanging fruit that people were able to capitalize on the last couple of years um, is not so low-hanging anymore. 
Um, but if you think about like creative, like most of those people have been doing it in every market, whether it was a down market like we're in now, um, you know, I think we all probably, you know, and, and watch Pace and, and what he's been able to do uh, the last several years and accumulating everything from, you know, multi-units to businesses to, um, you know, single family rental portfolios. Uh, creative finance is the ultimate way to build wealth, not just income. Um, and control assets that we otherwise wouldn't be able to qualify for. Um, the best analogy I've ever heard was, you know, most wholesalers and investors only use the hide of the, what is it, Leon? It's the, the animal, bison. Right? Like the bison. And someone that knows creative finance uses every part of that bison and it lasts and feeds them for, you know, a month versus someone that kills it, takes the hide and they're off hunting again. Um, and I think that's a great analogy for wholesale versus creative finance creative finance will feed you for a very, very long time and serves in every market. Control the asset. All right, Leon, how important are creative strategies uh, uh, in today's market for you? Yeah, to Eric's point, it's always important. Um, you know, like Steve, almost every single person that I know that understands creative financing at a very high level are the wealthiest guys in the room, um, nine times out of 10. Um, I liken it to a foreign language. The more languages you speak, the more opportunities you have with sellers um, at, at the dinner table. You have opportunities to communicate and potentially monetize each individual property. But why it's more critical right now is because a lot of the inventory, if somebody's behind on their mortgage payments, those mortgages are the asset. So then, then the property itself, you know, interest rates, some of them in the twos most of them in the threes. Uh, that is half of where it is today. So it's more critical right now. Um, and I do think that it is, I mean, most people that do it are very intelligent, uh, but no more intelligent than anybody in the, on this call with the exception of maybe Jimmy. Um, and so it's something that if you don't know how to do, plant, you know, get one flag started, start with novations, then get into other creative ways of doing it. Because if you try to do too much at one time, it is a lot to take on. We've talked about that before many times in CG. It's a lot. So start with one strategy. Definitely, definitely. Jimmy, how important is creative in your business right now? Uh, it's pretty, I mean, like my accountant, Marcus, is saying, hey, it needs to be more uh, important in your business because of the cost sag. Like if you, you take a subject two on a $200,000 house, you get no money down, you're into the house. And if you sub to it for 200 grand, that's 200 grand, you get to do an advanced cost seg on. So we're all real estate professionals and we all should be really picking up rentals for taxes because you can take your passive losses off your active income, which is huge. And it's complete subsidy from the government to people like us. So I'm looking at subject twos not as like, hey, more deals, more deals. I'm looking at it as a wealth builder and a tax saver. Chop it up, gents. Two minutes. Just a word of caution. You generally don't want your accountant to use creative finance. Um, <laughs> that might land you in some hot water, but I know what Jimmy's talking about. We happen to have access to... This, you know, the Marcus is a, a top CPA and really understands finance. But generally speaking, don't go tell your accountant <laughs> you want them to use creative finance to save you tax money. Uh, you might get yourself in trouble. Just a side note there. Send him well, the amazing accountant. thing is how many accountants don't know don't know about the depreciation. And if you're a real estate professional, taking it off your active income, like 
if you're in the real estate game, that's, that's should be the first question you ask your accountant is have Hold you on, taken. Go ahead. It's Leon's turn. It's Leon's turn. Jimmy, go ahead and talk. <laughs> yep, Leon, you're up. Jimmy, go ahead. Um, but I think, you know, going back to Jimmy's point, right, having an accountant that understands this, I think that's super critical, right? Because it's hard enough already to do the creative financing on your own. You have an accountant that can't support you in this journey. It's going to be a lot, lot harder. And I think, you know, maybe you can pick it up. Uh, creative financing from someone else, a peer of all of ours, uh, who calls it uh, creative finance, right? <laughs> yeah. so you get you get yeah. 80 speed, learn a little bit from him, and you can get some creative financing going on. Let me give a practical example of one of our 30-something uh, investors. Um, the younger investor that wants to add doors, they want to add wealth, but they don't want to put down a lot of their active income to build that wealth long term. We have a couple members that are utilizing creative finance to build rental portfolios. That is a language that they speak to help them build wealth as a bolt on to their business, even though wholesaling brings active income. That's a great, easy way to start to get into creative financing, to add another layer to your business and why we all got into this of building wealth. So you can do that by adding creative finance. It's a great practical example. It's also great if you're starting to raise private money. Like, let's say you get a subject to, it needs 25 grand to be livable. You borrow that private money. It's easy to get 25 grand from somebody as opposed to 300 grand. So it's, it's like, it's phenomenal training wheels for anything you want to do. Training wheels, I like that. All right, another beautiful round from the B-Squad over here. We're going to go ahead and <laughs> there goes Steve again, losing points. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and take that one to uh, to the YouTube polls. And based off that. Oh, we got Steve Train coming in with the point that people have spoken. All right. We're going to go ahead and go to the the last question. Well, Matt, did my did my votes go to me or Chris Jefferson? They went to Chris Jefferson, and you need to pipe down before RJ Bates next to you. You know, it, it's a whole thing. Again, B-Squad. We're just B-Squad all around today. All right, last question. What advice do you have for a first-time home buyer right now? Lead us, lead us off, Steve. Uh, first-time home buyer. I mean, I would say the, the things I would look at is real estate is not a short-term investment if you're looking to buy a home right now if it makes sense for you to buy a home right now then buy a home forget about timing the market right you need a place to live if you plan on being wherever you are for the next three to five years buy a house if you're planning on moving in a year or two then rent right but i think home ownership there's so many benefits to home ownership you know, whether it's the tax write-off, it's the stability, it's not having, not being subject to a landlord going through their whims. I think there's, uh, and it's a forced savings, right? That principal pay down is a forced savings that we don't really take a look at very much. So I think that if you're going to, if you're looking to buy a house, buy a house. Don't, don't try to time the market. Always insightful. Deep thoughts with Steve Trang. 
All right, Eric, what you got for us? So I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think if you're a FHA, VA, first-time home buyer that needs a little bit of seller's help, um, this might be your last opportunity to buy a home for ever. I think these interest rates come back down to like low fives um, at some point and investor activity because you got to think, I think what, what the market conditions that the Fed has created by raising rates is there's now a lot of pent up demand by people with 700 credit scores, 20% down that are trying to time the market and, and will, right? They'll just wait it out until the rates come down and maybe they'll pay a higher price, but they're fixated on interest rate. I think if you're a first time home buyer and you don't buy in these next 12 months and rates, let's say, drop down into the low fives, maybe the high fours at some point when the Fed starts to undo what they've done. I don't know that you'll be able to compete. And we're seeing it right now with our innovation deals when we take it to the MLS. FHA, VA buyers are gobbling them up. They need a little bit of seller's help. They don't have a 750 credit score. Maybe they're 650. Those people were disregarded the last three years in the market because they were bullied out by investors and 20% and down buyers. I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I think this might be your last <clears throat> legitimate opportunity to buy a house. Deep thoughts with Brewer, too. Okay, we're diving deep in, in today. All right, Leon, well, what do you got for us in 2022? They both gave first-time home buyers great advice there. And I'll add one additional uh, piece to it. Uh, what Eric said is so true when it comes to VA uh, and FHA. They've been sitting on the sideline. We've talked about this for a while. They've been sitting on the sidelines for the last three years because a lot of people were selling their house for cash and then having offers on other assets so you know regardless of what that interest rate is especially if you plan on staying in it, and you can refi that property at some point if you're going to if it's going to be a long-term property for you but i also think that there's something here uh, that we've talked about before with the amount of institutions that are now into single family homes in the next five to ten years cj's talked about this before we're creating a society of renters because all the institutions from Wall Street have gotten into this game and there's less and less home, actual home ownership over time that will happen. So if you are a first time home buyer and you're on the fence, get off the fence, buy a house. Beautiful. Jimmy, what are you telling a first time home buyer behind, uh, in the current market? Uh, a 30 year loan is the best investment with a fixed interest rate. A 30 year loan is the best investment you'll ever make that paper. Uh, your cost of capital can only go down in this in interest rate environment. So you buy your interest rate right now at six. Uh, it's going to stay at six for 30 years. Inflation is going to continue to go up. It's going to be easier and easier to make that monthly payment. And when interest rates go down, your cost of capital will go down when you refi. But I would also caution that first time home buyer: the house you own is not an investment. It, put, it takes money out of your pocket. It does not put money into your pocket. So buy the home you want, but don't expect it to be an investment. And for savings, I agree with Steve, that is for savings, but it's not exactly, it's not exactly an investment. See, Jimmy's going that Robert Kiyosaki route or, or, or the yes. Grant Cardone route. A house is not, your primary yeah. residence is not an investment. No, it's a doodad. It takes money out of your pocket, but it does. But what 30, else are you going to do? But a 30-year fixed loan is an investment, and most Americans don't know that they can get 10 of those if they have a, if they have a W-2. 
So I would get the house you li- you're living in. I would take your nine other golden tickets and I would definitely get that 30 year paper as much of it as you can get. Well, Matt, you work with a lot of people as a realtor. I mean, what are you telling people about first time home buyers? He's a B team. He doesn't get the answer. He's oh, I'm sorry. Pipe I apologize. Down. I apologize. Tell me you're fishing for votes without telling me you're fishing for votes. He's actually a halfway decent realtor, like a legit B squad realtor. I, I am. Like, you know, I, I sell I sell a thing or two. Um, kind of to Eric's point about what he was talking about. And we've seen this because we're kind of on both sides of the fence because we do have institutional investors that we work with. Um, right now might be that turning point before the next big thing happens in real estate with regards to kind of like CJ spoken about. Um, we become, I guess, for lack of better words, the renter nation. The turnkey nation is probably the more politically correct term, if you will. And we're all about PC here on PTD. Um, that's my that, hallmark. Yeah, that's clearly. Um, that's what we're. Uh, that, that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. Is we're seeing a lot of the FHA and the VA buyers that are coming back to the marketplace that were kind of thrown to the side, especially in the last. Um, you know, especially in the last kind of 18 months, two years. Um, perfect example. I have a listing that's actually been um, on the market for a couple months. Uh, got caught a little bit in the shift, uh, made a price adjustment. Sure enough, two offers came in, one from a vet, um, you know, one conventional buyer. So it's kind of one of those things. This might be that chance before this next great push happens with regards to how slim inventory has been. Yeah, I want to applaud Eric. He actually gave a good answer. Good job, Eric. Thank you. Wow. That's a first, apparently. And Matt, like these buyers, do you think they even care about the interest rate? Hell no. They they, they, they do <laughs> not. They don't care at all. Uh, every, every single buyer that I'm working with right now gives absolutely no shits what their interest rate is. They care what their payment is per month. Payment That's is. it. If it's affordable yeah. and it's better than rent, they don't care. They're going to go in. Gotcha. So there's insight from, you know, B squad over here. See. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and finish off that round. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and uh, give this one over to Leon, uh, which has ultimately created a tie between him and Steve. Now, I'm going to try to set my personal feelings aside on this. But Steve was very mean to me last week. He said some things. Um, I apologize. What else do you want? Um, I, I could use a hug. I'm sorry you got mad. I could use a hug. How about, a, how about a little motivational rubdown? Yeah. How about a little motivational <laughs> rubdown? You're the Tony Robbins. Those real estate <laughs> on the just rub, just rubbers. When I think of... Steve, I think of motivational massages and hugs in the office. That's exactly what I think of. It's like like I I really got tingly when I pictured it on the hood of a Miata. (laughs) Thank you for that visual. You like it? Yeah. For those those that don't know, Steve actually has, he's got a topless Prius, and it's amazing. It's just so he can be in uh, in the EV lane. That being said, to enter, one can only one can leave as champion. And today, we're going to give it to Leon G. Barnes with Uh-oh. 22. Bring it home. <laughs> Bring it home. Told you it was go time. 
<laughs> it's 2023 now for you. <laughs> you know, Eric was really shocked about my answer about the motivational thing. And I'm surprised at how shocked he was because he was sitting in my car when he saw me extremely uncomfortable at Starbucks. <laughs> Do you remember that, Eric? I remember it vividly. There was a super enthusiastic person that was excited to serve Steve his latte. And like we pulled away and Steve was like, I wish he would just shut the hell up. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, whoa, dude, that guy was like so happy and like helpful. You just, it's unnecessary. All that enthusiasm. I mean, to be fair, um, the dude's like 30 shots of espresso in and like, <laughs> Steve, Steve's just not having that first thing. Listen, I'm just saying, if you're scanning my my app, right, and you say pew pew as you're scanning my app, it's just a little much. <laughs> I thought it was cool. All right. I want to thank the audience for being with us today. Um, this was a great show, even, you know, with Leon and Jimmy being on it. And real quick before we go, Leon, go go ahead and um, go ahead and give us your final thoughts. Yeah, Leon G. Barnes, guys, enjoyed it. Always uh, enjoy. I think this might be, could it be, my first win on this show. I think that may be. Um, make sure we let RJ and CJ know that. Um, excited, as always, to be here. Anytime the fifth man of the year can come in and uh, add some flavor and take home a, a belt, that's uh, good for me. Collective Genius, uh, look us up, uh, thecollectivegenius.com. We have a great event planned next week here in Clearwater. Looking forward to hanging out with my brothers, Jimmy uh, and Eric. And uh, we'll see Steve more than likely virtually. Uh, one day we'll get him down here for CD Select uh, next week. So excited for that and always fun, gentlemen. Enjoyed the time, except for Matt. <laughs> wow. Wow. Jimmy. Uh, I had a fun time as always, Matt, thank you for letting me do the advertising. I, I feel like, uh, that, you know, the Kavi money coming in and sponsoring the show is a lot more secured with me doing that. No offense. I'll make sure to sound uh, Ray, a sound clip of that. Well, too. And then, uh, for, uh, the real estate disruptors audience, Steve, I know we're excited about this on one twenty seven. Uh, me and my partner, Ryan, are going to come in and do a uh, workshop, um, how to get cash flow in 90 days, like Matt, we just talked about. We're going, uh, becoming Turnkey Nation. So for this audience, we'll do a workshop so you guys can get on this Turnkey Gold Rush. Nice. Look forward to that. Steve? Yeah, so uh, just, you know, again, always having a fun time here, getting to hang out with my great friends. Uh, so, you know, Leon here is representing Collective Genius. Actually, how I know everyone here is through Collective Genius. Uh, Jimmy, I'm really excited that we're going to be doing something together for sharing cash flow tactics for our audience. And then, you know, Eric Brewer, uh, we got the Brewer method, right? Like right now, if you, we're talking about creative a moment ago. If you guys aren't instituting innovations, you're literally depriving yourselves intentionally of revenue, right? So check out Brewer method, check out CG. Check out what Jimmy and I are going to be doing as far as cash flow tactics. Eric, send us off. Yeah, I had a good time. Um, I actually owe Steve an apology. I gave him a lot of flack for that number three question that his staff circulated out there. And I think it was the most talked about, highly debated topic that we had on today's show. Uh, I just couldn't believe that anybody wouldn't want Tony Robbins to interact with their people every morning. Turns out 
uh, there was at least two stupid people on this call. Uh, <laughs> lucky me and Leon were able to, to, to fight a good fight and get the, get the truth out. Um, but I do. I teach novations. I've done over 1,200 novations since 2011. Um, it is not a fix and flip strategy. I have people call me and DM me every single day and go, why in the world do you do novations? I don't want to renovate a house. I don't want to partner with the seller. 30-second crash course innovations. It's a wholesale-style transaction in wholesale condition being sold to retail buyers. Um, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to brewermethod.com. Thank you, as always, gentlemen. We're going to go ahead and sign off for, for today, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks so much. Thank you.